Hello, and welcome back to Life's Key 3. Today, we are going to dive into leftovers, where we get approval, and life after death. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. It's great to have you back, and I hope that you've had an opportunity to listen to the last couple of episodes where we took a break from our normal routine, and we invited Ruth Hosepian to come in, and she just shared a powerful message with us. So if you haven't yet had a chance to go back and listen to those last two episodes, you're definitely going to want to do that, and then make sure that you hop on over and you find out more about Ruth and her speaking, her books and just how you can stay connected with her because she's got some powerful information for you. Well, prior to that, we have been talking about the Gospel of John, and we had finished with the healing of the man who had been laying by the pool, and he had been there for many, many years. And Jesus comes along one day on the Sabbath, no less, and says to the man, do you want to be well? And that's a powerful question. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, you're definitely going to want to make sure and do that because that is a question that all of us don't just get asked one time in our lives. We need to be asking ourselves that question because really God is asking us that question on an ongoing basis. What do we want? Do we want to be well? Do we want to be whole? Do we want to be able to fully engage in this life or not? Because what we've talked about previously is there is truth to the fact that there are payoffs that come when we are not well. Well, today we're going to pick up with the rest of the chapter uh, 5 in the Gospel of John, and then we're going to get through the first part, about the first 15 verses in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. And in the the last section of that chapter 5, it's interesting because Jesus Jesus spends a lot of time talking about some significant issues, and he doesn't do this using stories or what we might call parables, but he's actually very direct in his speaking. And it's so direct that it can be off-putting to some of the listeners, He spends a lot of time clarifying who he is and where he had come from. He has come from God. He didn't just show up on the planet as another ordinary human being. Even though he was fully man, he was also fully God. And he speaks plainly and he states some things repeatedly which is important for us because this isn't something that we see a lot of that's recorded in the Gospels. Jesus spent a lot of time using stories and parables and analogies, and sometimes he says things or he responds to people's questions in a way that, honestly, it's kind of like, uh, say what, Jesus? What, what did you actually mean by that? And there were times that the disciples went back to him and said, we didn't get it, and they were there listening firsthand. 
And they have the value and the benefit of his body language, his tone of voice, his volume, his facial expressions, all of those communication techniques that we don't have access to as we are reading the scriptures. So if they had to go back at different times and say, uh, Jesus, we need you to do some further explanation on this, certainly that can be true for us today. But in this, this last, about the last half of chapter five, Jesus just repeats some things with such clarity, with great detail, and very directly. And one of those things, there's, there's a couple of those things that he brings out that I just want to highlight today. This isn't by any means all of those points, but there's a couple of one. The first, of course, is that he has come from God the Father. The second is he speaks very plainly that there will be a resurrection of the dead. There is life after death, and there are two possible outcomes to life after death. There will be a resurrection. That's not up for debate. There, it's just a matter of whether there will be a resurrection to life or whether we will experience a resurrection to judgment. This isn't just an issue for us today because of all of the diversity of views on is there life after death? And if so, what does it look like? And in the United States, Historically, we've had a cultural idea of life after death, but we haven't always had the following belief, which was that, yes, but there was going to be one of two outcomes. You either were going to experience a resurrection to life, life eternal, or to a judgment where you actually were going to be judged and had to give an account for your life. We see that mentality is, is, has dissipated significantly here in the United States, but around the world and with different world religions and beliefs, this is still an issue. What happens to us after we die? We know we die. Just what we don't know is exactly what happens to us afterwards. And whatever we believe, it is a matter of faith. So it's not just that Christians have faith or Hindus have faith, or Buddhists have faith, or whatever. It's a matter that every single person lives their life with some sort of faith in what's going to happen when they die. Even if that belief is that when I die, that's it, there, there's th th that's the end of me. Me ceases to exist. There's just a corpse that gets buried or cremated, and then that's it. Who I am as, as a person is gone forever. But Jesus very clearly says that is not the case. You know, we are too valuable. We are too important to just be gone forever. And honestly, this life is just too hard to do the work of living as a Christian. It's just too hard to do the work of living as a good Person, even if you don't claim to be a Christian, if the only value and meaning of this is just what we are going to experience in our lifetime, life's just too hard for that. And so being able to see that there is a purpose that extends beyond the time that our physical body inhabits the earth really is a source of purpose and can be a source of great joy. In Jesus' time, there were a couple of different groups and the religious leaders, and they had 
totally opposing beliefs about life after death. You had the Pharisees who did believe that there would be a resurrection, and then you had the Sadducees who said, nope, not going to happen. This life is it, and after that, we're, we're all done. And later in the New Testament, we see where Paul actually exploited that division um, to his, his own advantage at, at one point. So in this chapter and in this teaching, Jesus very clearly sides with the belief of the Pharisees, which is, yes, there is going to be a life after this death, and there will be a resurrection. There will be a resurrection of bodies, and they will appear in one of two places. They will either have eternal life or they will have a a judgment. And then, of course, we know from other uh, parts of Scripture that those that have an eternal life are going to be able to have heaven. And there's a lot of different ideas about what that's going to consist of. We're not getting into that today. Or there's going to be hell. And when people say, oh, I don't see how a good God could send people to hell. Well, think about it this way. If you don't want to be with God now, when you don't have to even be face-to-face with him, why in the world would you want to be with him face-to-face forever? I mean, think about it like this. Think about somebody that just really annoys you, who just really ticks you off. Okay, yes, I know, even if you're a Christian, you have at least one person in your life, and they may be at the top of your prayer list, but the reason they're there is because they just annoy you. They bug you, they've hurt you, they've betrayed you. Whatever the situation is, there's somebody there that you do not want to spend time with. They are not going to be at the top of your party invitation list. It may even be that you don't even have to see them. You might just hear their name. You might just remember them. You might just um, see their name in print. And that's enough to kind of get your blood pressure up and all that kind of thing because you just can't even stand the thought of being around them or being reminded of them. Well, how would you feel if you had to spend Every single moment of the rest of your life, I mean, just here on earth, not even counting eternity, with them, what would that feel like to you? That would probably feel like absolute torture, something that you wouldn't want to even conceive or imagine. Well, in the same way, if we, if we have enough knowledge of God here on earth and we don't even have to dwell in his presence face to face, God would be incredibly unkind to say, oh, but I'm going to make you be with me every single moment of your existence forever and ever and ever. That is not the action of a loving God. So as I've talked about before, the greatest power that we have been given as individuals is the power to choose. We have agency, and with that agency comes responsibility, and with that agency also comes freedom. Freedom did not originate with the Declaration of Independence in the United States. Freedom originated when God gave the first people the ability to make a choice about what they would do 
with their life. And God places a high value and premium on freedom for human expression and choice. And that's the reason that we need to place a high value and premium on that as well, because it's not ultimately a political ideology. It is a spiritual ideology that either supports and aligns with how God has designed people to live, or it goes against that. Now, in this discourse, Jesus also makes it very clear that he only acts in obedience to God. He does not act on his own accord. He and the Father are one, and everything that he does, he does because it is lined up with what God wants him to be doing. There's no division, there's no argument, there's no separation there. And then one of the things that he says in verse 44 is he asks this question, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Now, that is a powerful question. I'm going to say that one more time. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. That question is still relevant for us today. Even if we say, but I I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, the significance of where do we seek glory from will absolutely have an impact in our lives. Now, glory is not a word that we just use all the time in our society. Um, It's relegated to only a few um, uh, situations, or it might be a movie title or something like that, but it's not a word that we just go around throwing around. So instead of glory, let's think of it in terms of more common language. Where do we seek our approval from? Our credibility, attention, our praise, our recognition. We all seek those things, and we are lying to ourselves. If we think, oh, no, no, none of that's important to me. I don't need anybody's approval or attention or praise or recognition. That's, that's not true. And it's not a matter that the height of maturity means that we don't have any desire for any of those things anymore. That might tend to make us more of a, of a sociopath than a mature person. So we all do seek after those things. But it's fascinating to me that Jesus points out to the people of his day, and it's applicable for us as well, when we get our glory from one another and not seek to give glory that comes from the only God, that is going to impact our belief in Jesus. And it's not just going to impact whether we believe in him as Savior or not. It's going to impact him as to what we believe about him in our everyday, day-to-day lives. So it is incredibly important for us to pay attention. Where are we seeking to obtain and to give glory? Okay, moving on. In the first 15 verses of chapter 6 is one of the Bible's very common stories, and this is where there's the feeding of the 5,000, as we might refer to it. Now, it's a little curious to me why these 5,000 people have showed up, and they're here to, to listen to Jesus, 
And there's only one person in this entire crowd, this little boy who has any food with him. And we're not going to focus on that today, but it's just a little curious to me as to what did that represent. So maybe we'll come back and look, dig into that another time. But what happens is that there's these, this um, huge crowd that has come to hear Jesus. And Jesus says to Philip, one of his disciples, hey, you know, how are we going to feed these people? And it's, it's a way not to... Um, to set Philip up in a bad way, it's it's a way to say, hey, Philip, hey, I'm going to test your faith here. I'm going to ask you a question. A lot of times when Jesus asks us questions, it's a way for us to say, hey, this is an opportunity for me to engage my faith. And Philip's like, hey, you know, kind of like, I mean, I'm totally paraphrasing here, but basically it's like, hey, don't look at me because I don't have the resources for this. Well, there's a little boy there who has two fish, and he has five loaves of of barley bread. And Jesus takes this little boy's um, offering, and he uses this, and he breaks this up, and just has this miracle where he ends up feeding the entire crowd from this. And there's a few things that I want to point out from this. Number one is, God can feed a lot of people with our very small offering, but to do so, we have to be willing to let go of what we have and remain for a moment empty-handed. I don't know whether when Jesus began to break that bread and fish, he handed it back first to that little boy, or if that little boy had to stand there and watch as everybody else got fed first, I don't know. I'm sure however it was handled, it wasn't something that was going to terrorize a child. But the fact is, a lot of times we have to be willing to be left empty-handed to say, God, here's everything we have. We don't know what you're going to do with it. We don't know if we're going to get this back. Okay, but we're going to give you what we have. Number two, we have to watch God break apart what we think is going to fill us up. Jesus took that bread and he took those fish and he broke them. He broke them into pieces. Sometimes the things that we think are going to nurture us are the very things that God will break into pieces. Not for the purpose of terrorizing us, but for the purpose of multiplying our impact. You see, that little boy came, and and he had this lunch, and he came thinking he was going to fill himself up. But you know what he left with that day? He left not only with a full stomach, but he left with the knowledge that he had participated in this miraculous story and that uh, several thousand other people also were able to eat because he'd showed up with a lunch. He left with a whole lot more than he came with, but he had to be willing to let God take that, leave him empty-handed for a moment, and then break apart what he had brought. And after everybody's eaten and they've had their fill, then Jesus says, hey, he says to his disciples, hey, we're not going to let anything go to waste, so go pick up all the fragments that are left. And it says that they went 
and there were 12 baskets of the bread fragments that were left over. Isn't that interesting? 12 disciples, 12 baskets of bread. Why wasn't there any baskets of fish left over? Well, fish wasn't going to keep. It was going to spoil very quickly. And then they were going to have this, this issue. What, what are we going to do with this you know, spoiled fish? But bread would keep for a while. By having those baskets of fragments, every single disciple was carrying something physically in their hands that was a powerful reminder to them that Jesus could provide out of could provide everything that was needed out of a very, very small offering. And he cared about people's practical needs. And he was the Son of God. He was the Messiah and the Savior that they were looking for. God doesn't let anything go to waste in our lives if we will do the work of obedience to him. You see, Jesus didn't say to the crowds, hey, you all out there, you pick up all the fragments and you carry them with you as as you leave. No, he said to his disciples, you go and pick up the fragments. They had to step out. They had to go pick up those pieces. But Jesus was saying, everything has value. There is nothing that I touch that I will allow to go to waste. I'm going to ask you to be a part of that. There are things that you're going to have to actually go and do to engage with that, but I don't want anything to go to waste. You know, whatever you have in your life, maybe you feel like that little boy and you just feel like all I've got is just this enough just for me. Maybe you feel like one of the people who showed up there just desperate to hear Jesus, but who had nothing to eat. Maybe you feel like you're kind of one of the disciples and you're standing there looking at this, these needs of people who are there depending on you. And you're like, I don't know how I am going to meet these needs. But know this, whatever we have, no matter how small it is, when we are willing to turn it over to God, and we are willing to let him even break it into pieces, it can fill not only us, but who knows how many other people. And when we choose to walk in obedience, we can help gather up so that nothing goes to waste. And that includes nothing in our lives that God will allow to go to waste if we pick it up and bring it to him. All right, my friend. Well, that's going to wrap up another episode of Life's Key 3. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. If you haven't already, hop on over to the website, stephaniepresents.com, and subscribe to High Impact. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you're going to go, wait, wait, that's new. What did you just say? That's right. I said High Impact, not Highlights, because I've changed the name of the newsletter from Highlights to High Impact, because that's what I want you to focus on. And that is aligning your immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable impact with God's grand story. All right, my friend. Have a wonderful day, and I'll look for you next episode. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, 
learn yourself, love God, and live connected. <laughs>